and we are back to another episode of Unleashing the Future of Work. I'm excited because I actually right now have a really, really phenomenal guy on. And as soon as I bring him on, you all are going to be like, dude, this guy is super, super cool. Matt Burns, man, he is the CEO and the and the and the chief everything officer, <laughs> but more so the chief empathy officer for Bento HR, and they are leading a worldwide global movement right now called the Global HR Summit. We're going to dive deep on that, but I'm also going to talk to him a little bit about his career, how he got started doing the work that he does, and some of the things that he's noticing in terms of the future of virtual reality in HR and employee experience. We're really going to have a very robust conversation around that. So if you're excited as I'm excited, please let us know. Let us know where you're tuning in from right now. And definitely make sure that you show Matt some love on LinkedIn, because we're going to tag him on LinkedIn. Show him love on his personal profile on Twitter as well, because this guy is just a, you know, a storm full of amazing insights on the HR landscape. In addition to that, just a great human being as well. With that said, Matt, what's good, Matt? How's it going? <laughs> That's probably the best intro What's I've up, had in man? quite some time. Oh, dude, thanks so much, man. I really appreciate that. I try to I try to do my best with these intros, man. <laughs> I can tell. Thank you so much. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm out here in the woods just enjoying the quarantine and, uh, you know, <laughs> trying to make the best of a, of a tough situation. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. You're beaming in from you're, – you're still – you're in Canada, right? Because I know you're yeah. – I'm about an hour west of Victoria, the capital city. Uh, my hometown's, or where I live now, is Vancouver. But I took some space when the uh, the pandemic hit, and uh, really been using the space, you know, and the time productively, as we'll get into. Yeah, yeah, man. No, that's good. That's good, man. I would love for you to share with us. And shout out to everyone that's tuning in and listening right now. Share with us a little bit about your background, man, because a lot of people don't know, man. You've been actually working in the HR industry for quite some time. Yeah, but I was hidden. I was in, hidden in the corporate world, right? Uh, 20, 20 years in that corporate world, 15 of them in HR, the last five as an HR executive. And and Tim, I spent the last five years of my career mostly architecting and leading large transformational projects, which in real speak is restructurings and downsizings, mergers and acquisitions, and then also large technology projects. And it was exciting. Like, to be at the, the leading edge of change in an organization, to have the opportunity to influence an organization and make it more successful for the employees and for a business was great. And it's tiring, um, high pressure, high stakes. And when you are looking at spreadsheets with people's names on them, it, it doesn't take too long before those names take on greater meaning. And where I found myself in my career was, I was very fortunate. I had a lot of mentors and organizations that supported me and, and taught me and nurtured my, me and took me from a raw professional into the person that I ended up becoming um, through a lot of experiences and, and tough conversations and good conversations. And one of those tough conversations was, was around balance and around mm -hmm. integration. And like a lot of people I'm sure can resonate with, I had this romantic view of the corporate world that if I struggled and I sacrificed and I hustled my way to the top, I'd eventually get there and be able to go, I got it. Right? Like, yeah. And as a result of that, I put everything else in the back burner. My relationships, my family, my friends, my health, both mentally and physically. And it wasn't too long before I started to see declining returns. And this, the, the harsh reality of the corporate world is that once you stop delivering, then your value starts to drop. And there's not a lot of patience for underperformance, especially in high competitive environments. And 
I realized that I wanted to have a bigger impact that my, I engineered my whole life around having personal success and convinced myself that if I had success, I'd be able to benefit other people. And I was just kidding myself. I was just really being frankly selfish and I didn't want to keep living like that. And once I came to that realization, it was impossible for me to go back and, and see it any other way. So I launched a social enterprise where I get to with Bento HR do exactly the same things I did in the big businesses, you know, companies like Walmart and McDonald's and the huge massive organizations. I get to do it now on my terms and mm. I get to do it and support organizations and their people. And, you know, my secret is Tim, I, I throw in a, a bit of a Trojan horse in every project. So I, I talk a lot about technology and data and finances because that's what gets me into boardrooms and that's what gets me thumbs up to move forward. But then I'm always introducing an element of humanity into all of our projects, into all of our strategies so that you don't have to choose between them. You can actually have both. Uh, and that's what we've been doing the last couple of years with uh, Bento HR is helping organizations transform themselves digitally, primarily through HR departments and having a lot of success. And then COVID hit. And then COVID hit. <laughs> how did you, so how did y'all bounce back from that? And because I think I, I agree with a lot with what you shared of that it's hard for people to, um, you know, work needs to become more human. And we're seeing a shift due to COVID and work becoming more human. So, you know, how did you all adapt as a, as a company? And also speak a little bit to why, you know, Global HR Summit is, is this movement that you're building to kind of encapsulate that. So I think we would agree work was broken before COVID. Yeah, there was not many people who were winning in that game. And I think about my friends who are working 60, 70 hour weeks, barely paying their bills. They went to school, they got $200,000 in student loans. Like it's very real that the game is not set up for the most of us to have success. And I was fortunate. You know, I started, you know, in my career at the very tip end of the 90s. So I got a bit of benefit and I was building my professional portfolio when a lot of my friends were going to university and that accelerated my succession. So I was a fortune 500 executive at 31 um, and, and making a lot of things happen. But as you mentioned, um, work has its challenges. And when I think about what work could be, I get excited about working with people like you and my partners now at Bento. Like I love coming to work. I love working with clients because I get to choose what I work on and who I work with. That wasn't always the case in the corporate world. And I, sometimes I got frustrated because we would talk a lot about the issues and we wouldn't do anything about it. And I, I'm frustrated when I see opportunities and things that we can fix, especially if it involves people. Um, so what, what, how it affected us was quite simple. Um, we were a digital transformation consultancy that was having a pretty good business before COVID. And um, I would say our largest competition before COVID was inertia. Transformation is hard. Change is hard. And when you're talking about you know completely transforming an organization around technology and data, it doesn't matter how easy I make it for you. There's still an intellectual and emotional, a psychological exercise that everybody has to go through. And most projects and organizations don't fail because the tech is broken. They fail because they didn't do a good job taking the people with them along the journey. Yeah. So we were having some success with Bento HR and doing that. And when COVID hit, it was massive market validation. All overnight, every single consultancy on the planet became a digital transformation consultancy. Yep. So yes. I went from being one or five or six companies in the world doing this to now one of 500 or 600 companies, if not more, doing this. And you know, for me, when I talk about kind of impact we want to have, Bento HR is a social enterprise. So why it's different than my corporate career is that we run a very tight ship. I don't have expensive tastes. I don't have a fancy office and fancy cars. Yeah. I just like solving yeah. problems and helping people. It's yeah. reality. So what we do is we go into organizations in an agile way really quick. And we oftentimes are providing them with incredible value for their dollar. And um, 
that was important because it democratized access to our services and we were able to help other people. And we cover our costs, which are nominal. And then I give the rest of the money away to charity because for us, it's about having that impact and about democratizing access to the tools that you would otherwise not be able to get unless you hired one of the big four consulting firms or brought in a high ticket salaried employee. We come in and provide that kind of that augmentation and help accelerate transformation for organizations. COVID hits, everyone jumps in the boat and I ask myself, okay, we can sit here and we can be part of this party and have lots of friends around us and try and chip away at a big problem. And COVID-19 opened up a lot of opportunities for us to fix problems that had gotten a lot worse. So I talk about things getting worse post COVID. I think about things like engagement, mental illness, connection, they're all going in the wrong direction right now. And now that we're in a world, we have to oscillate between the physical world and the virtual world and go back and forth. And there's no end in sight. I think we need better than Zoom calls and emails and instant messengers and conference calls for the important conversations. Yeah, I can text my friends and say, hey, I'll meet you at five o'clock. That's not an issue. But when I'm having a, a hiring conversation or performance conversation or I'm teaching somebody something, I want to be with them in the room. I want to be with them side by side. And that's where the Global HR Summit came from. Um, you know, COVID-19 by every measure is a tragedy. And I have friends and family and colleagues that I'm aware of that are having a very difficult time. And I spent the first month of the pandemic essentially volunteering my time to HR executives around the world in Latin America, Asia Pacific, Western Europe, North America, just trying to be of help, trying to be of service to people. Um, and as that, as that plan moved forward, um, it's... We, we took the opportunity to, again, try and look at where there were opportunities and where we could add significant value with Bento HR. And when I did some research into immersive technologies in particular, I realized that I've been sleeping on the science. Wow. That there is incredible science behind the connection that you get in virtual reality, the amount of, whether it's things like the path to productivity. So what that means is shorter training and shorter onboarding, a stronger connection. You can build empathy. The tools that are available through immersive technologies have been around for 30 years. I've been talking to people who have been doing this for 30 years, but we haven't got mass adoption because the problem wasn't big enough to actually look at it. So when I say COVID was an opportunity, I don't mean it was a good thing. I mean, it was an opportunity to say, wow, things are broken and we have to do anything, everything differently. It's a burning platform from which we've never seen before. Let's see what this world has for us. The Global HR Summit's a two-day event, July 28th and 29th, where I'm bringing around three dozen of my closest friends, just like you, Tim. And we're having a real conversation about the things that matter about work. So this is not a toolkit conference. I'm not going to teach you your best three tips, how to make your careers page pop on your website. What we're going to teach you is things that actually matter. So like diversity, equity, and inclusion. I don't know how you bring people together right now and don't talk about that, especially in the context of our U.S. partners. I don't know how you talk about the challenges of working parents and ignore that in a conference. Got to have that in there. Got to have conversations as well about the immersive technologies that are possible, available today, and the benefits they can have to organizations. Tim, you know, I'll be honest. I, I mentioned before, I work for some companies that are known for keeping tight controls on costs. And I was, as a necessity, had to learn how to self-fund my transformations. I had to build business cases to pay for the things I wanted to do. So we bring that methodology to immersive technologies. Not only does the science match it, Mm. Find it, the, the business case is there for it too. We just have been sleeping and not looking at it. So what I'm hoping to do with this conference is bring that to the forefront and bring several thousand of my HR friends from around the world together and say, guys, things aren't great. We're all on the same page here. Let us talk about how we can fix it together 
because just having more Zoom accounts and having more conference calls and having those wine and cheese parties on Friday with a group ain't going to cut it. Like it's okay in the short term, but six months from now, 12 months from now, 18 months from now, 24 months from now, if we don't take some serious action against what we're looking at, the problems will get worse. And I don't want to see that. I, I want to see people thriving. I want to see the people on this planet having success and, and having opportunities to grow and learn. And if we can be part of that, that's what I'm all about. So that's why the Global HR Summit. And I'm, again, just so thankful and so grateful that you took an opportunity, Tim, to join us and be there. Um, it's going to be rad. Man, it's going to be amazing. And, you know, you you all have been going on a promotion here around it. I want you to share a bit about some of the other people who are going to be a part of the Global HR Summit. And, you yeah. know, why was it that you guys decided to make it the first VR Summit? Uh, well, first HR Summit in VR. Like I just explained the conference. I didn't mention once it was in VR. What, what, I've been I've been do, I've been doing so many of these, Tim. What's going on? I'm getting off my talking points. Um, <laughs> VR because the best way to go about explaining and to experience what I just mentioned to you is to see it and live it. And I've been so excited. As my friends, you know, I talked to Enrique Rubio yesterday, a good friend of mine, hacking HR, amazing guy. I'm like, dude, put on the headset. You've been sitting with it. Put it on and then text me. And he's like, I can't even say the words that he said in his text message back to me. He's like, I am so excited. I had no idea this is possible. So change management, whether it's a large technology transformation project that I used to do in, in the big companies like Walmart before, or this conference, it's all about adoption. And it's all about giving people access and making it easy for them to be part of something. And when they sit in this world and they put their headsets on and they pop into Altspace VR, it's going to change a lot of people's perspectives. And I'm hoping that they're going to be inspired to do things differently in the organization. And the cool thing, Tim, you know this, the people in the room that day have budgets. They have influence. <laughs> they can make changes. Like we're not just talking in a value. Hey, Matt, I think we're having trouble. You accidentally muted yourself, man. Can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you. So oh, and we have people actually drive real change. That's what excites me about it. Mm -hmm. And what also excites me, Tim, as you mentioned, is we got a real diverse group of people. So it's not just this HR insular bubble. We have psychologists, we have philosophers, we have technologists, we have neuromarketers, we have tech, we have, you know, VR experts, we have a ton of people coming to the table and bringing their perspectives because this isn't an HR problem. It's not a technology problem. It's not a finance problem. It's a human being problem, and we need as many voices around the table as we possibly can to dissect it and then put it back together again. So I'm pumped. We have Marla Gottschalk, somebody I've been following for years. Marla is an industrial psychologist and a pioneer in understanding psychology at work. Uh, we have my friend Joey Price, amazing podcaster out of Baltimore, podcast host, uh, HR startup guy, also a, a consultant with Jumpstart HR, doing some amazing work on the East Coast of the United States with clients and around the world, frankly. Uh, we have Caitlin Krause, who's doing an amazing job of blending psychology and therapy with virtual reality because in addition to all the work applications for this technology, it's amazing for things like masterminds, team meetings, counseling, therapy, coaching, any space where you want two people to be in the same room where they can't because of the situation we find ourselves in right now, Put on your VR headset, man. You're right in that space with them. And that level of service and connection and empathy, you just don't get on a phone call. So those are three people I could go on. William Tincup, Recruiting Daily, you know, uh, Katrina Collier from the UK and recruiting aspects of things. I mentioned Enrique Rubio. Like I can go on and on and on and on about the amazing people on this group. Um, 
And I'm just excited. Like as in addition to being an organizer, I am pumped just to geek out and just consume all that content because it's going to be awesome. Man, no, and I, and I think you you brought around such a collective of people who are world changers, and mm-hmm. actually bringing them into a VR space that's like groundbreaking. <laughs> it's groundbreaking not only for the you know the industry, but it's also a groundbreaking experience. And I for one am really really excited because I actually have my my VR headset right back. Yeah, here. yeah, you do. <laughs> you can't. You put, you, I have, you I have put, you put it on yet? I, I I so I I've had a, a VR headset for like about. Three months now. Just yeah. I've been really fascinated about the 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 trends and VR headsets are sold out everywhere. Everywhere, they're sold out yeah. everywhere because obviously everyone you know wants to get escape everything that's going on due to COVID. And more importantly, I mean Facebook and all of the big brands who have been selling them, they are you know making killing. But I got mm-hmm. into it. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be groundbreaking. This is going to be. Mm-hmm. It is. It's it's again. It's you. I, we can talk about it. I can explain it to you. You got to feel you gotta it. Put, you got you got to put it on. You gotta and that's why I'm saying, you know, it, it, we're going to be able to put 30, approximately 30 business leaders. And you mentioned game changers. These are people that want change, that have the power to change things, that have the the voice and they're intelligent, articulate, purposeful people. They're, most of them are putting on headsets for the first time. Hmm. Most of them. When they put these things on. I know I'm going to have emails being like, how can we do more? How can we do more with this technology? Because they're smart people. They're smarter than me. My, my, here's my gift. Like I'm, I know a lot of people. I'm, I'm friendly to a lot of people and I can bring a lot of people together into a space. And I surround myself with people who are better than me, smarter than me, more purposeful than me. And I give them the tools to have success. And this is another example of that. We're just giving people access to a technology that can change their businesses, their lives, and the world. And that to me is a really good use of time. Not to mention the thousands of people that are going to be there and consume that content. I mean, like, Tim, we're going to be doing our podcast in VR. Yeah. <laughs> Man, it's so cool. We have a live studio audience in VR seeing your avatar, seeing my avatar, you know, I hope my avatar is more handsome than I am right now, but I, I don't know. Like it's, it, it's, it's going to be like, it, it, it allows a level of connection that is just there. And I also think about, I know you're in addition to being a culture guy, you're also a marketing guy. I also, you know, I've considered myself a broad thinker. And I think about the application of this technology in a number of contexts. Yes. We're talking a lot about work. Hey Matt, you're muted, man. <laughs> I don't know why I keep doing that. My, my, my voice is inspiring against me. Um, we can use it for training, improvement, performance management. And I think those are amazing uses. But then on the marketing side of things, you can create an immersive experience with your clients, with your mm-hmm. customers. We've been talking to organizations like the NBA yeah. who are pumped about putting their viewers. Because let's be honest, going to Madison Square Garden, sitting next to Spike Lee, probably not going to happen for a while. But people want to see LeBron. People want to see their guys. So put on a VR headset and you could be sitting courtside. And what the NBA will probably do or the NFL will do or the NHL will do or MLS soccer will do is they'll get you to buy that headset and then they're going to charge you a pay-per-view like a boxing match or a UFC match and you'll be able to sit next to Phil Jackson. You'll be able to sit next to the people that you value and get a level of experience and immersion you haven't had before because they're not going to be able to sell tickets and sell hot dogs and $15 beers at stadiums. So it's going to evolve. And I think actually for people like me, Tim, like I'm an introvert. 
Yeah. I, lo- I love being able to pop in and pop out of environments without the hassle of trying to find parking or hopping on planes and going into hotels and having terrible road food. Like the ability for me to sit in my house and show up, I've done the keynotes last three weeks in VR, pop on my headset. I do my keynote. I pop my headset off. I'm at home. Yeah. Like it's amazing. And I feel no loss of connection as I would if I was on a zoom call or a conference call or emails back and forth. So you kind of get the best of both worlds. And for me, I'm just, my mind is buzzing with potential applications of this. My bigger challenge is going to be picking two or three that I want to hone in on because I could see 50. And I think our guests, our speakers are going to have the same kind of transformations. And I'm excited to see what this comes from. This is a start. It's not the end. We're starting a conversation. And um, I'm really excited to see where this rock goes if we start rolling it down the hill. Yeah, 110%. You know, so, you, you know, you're really passionate about immersive reality and the trends going on and overlap with yeah. HR. What are some other areas, man, that are really exciting to you given COVID? And and because I think one of the things you mentioned also earlier is psycho- psychology, mental health in the workplace. We have to start caring about that much more. Yeah. And people don't realize, I think that's going to be a booming trend. And before you answer that, you know, what the other trends you, you're seeing are, I want to show love to Megan, who is definitely tuning in. She's asking, what are the crossovers for education, access, contributors? What do you think? I love that question. Like for me, like, I don't know about you, Tim. I love to learn. Mm. I I hate education. (laughs) Right? Right? Like, because education to me implies some degree of formality and some sort of like bureaucratic system where we take this program and then we teach everyone exactly the same way, even though you got different needs and I have different needs. And if you, I mean, I would encourage your audience, if anybody here is the one person in the world that I have never met that loves to learn through PowerPoint slides and lectures, put up your hand. Because <laughs> that's, that's what Harvard does. That's what Stanford does. That's what London Business School does. They all do it. And they're charging people $50,000 a year for the privilege. No one learns like that. Yeah. They're putting the onus on the student to teach themselves. And they're creating kind of entertainment and forcing you to be in a room with a bunch of people. And then the quality of education, you're really just paying for the brand. You're paying to say, I went to Harvard. And at a certain point, people don't have that kind of money anymore. Like only a certain percentage of the population can afford to go to an Ivy League school. And it doesn't make sense that that people get to have that opportunity and then get disproportionately better opportunities because they could pay more money to play the game. That doesn't feel right. Yeah. So for me, education, this is this has the this has the potential to, and I hope it does. I'm gonna work hard on my end of it to transform education in the same way. Because whether it's post-secondary education, like colleges and universities or inside of organizations and corporate education, we need to help people get some knowledge. Mm-hmm. And it ties in beautifully to mental health. So we haven't had this conversation, Tim, but I'm somebody who struggled with mental health most of my life. Mm-hmm. I have significant problems with anxiety. Uh, more mornings than not, I wake up with starting with my day with a panic attack. It's just part of my daily routine and it's not comfortable. It's not enjoyable, but I've built practices around my life, yoga, meditation, um, exercise, diet that set me up for success. I'm still not where I'd want to be on a regular basis, but I can get through my day and contribute. And I know I'm not alone. I know there are a lot of people suffering in silence and I know how it shows up and how people can pass judgments on other individuals based on how it shows up. So let me give you a couple examples. Um, I've received feedback in the past that I can be irritable and standoffish. Okay, I, I accept that. What the people don't know that have that perception is maybe on the inside, I'm just trying to keep it together. So I'm keeping myself contained so that I'm not putting my crap on other people in a conversation. Or maybe I miss a deadline on something. So I get really enthusiastic about a project 
And then the weight and the pressure of the project becomes an anxiety trigger for me. So I put it off and 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 it doesn't get done. My taxes are a great example. So like it shows up in different ways, but the consequence is people have judgments around it. And unless you have the experience of living through depression or anxiety, it's hard to connect with it. But as somebody who has gone through those pieces, I, I can connect to it. And to me, it's a bandwidth issue. Not to make this all about technology, but we weren't meant to consume this much information. We weren't meant to be connected 24 seven. We weren't meant to be on all of the time. Our brains aren't capable to handle it. We have some more information than we can possibly consume. We have a bandwidth issue. And part of the problem is that the institutions and the systems that we have in place that is meant to help us is actually hurting us. Mm-hmm. You talked about edu- education. There's one great example. What's the ROI of sitting in a classroom in a university for four hours? There is none. There's none. You're just wasting more time that then you have to recoup somewhere else when you want to do other things. What's the ROI of spending time in a job pushing paper back and forth that has no impact to the actual business goals? Yeah, you There's don't... none. Yeah. There's none. So we have an opportunity. Here's my view of the world right now. We had a problem before COVID. We have a bigger problem after COVID. And one of the ways we can solve that problem is through learning and education. Yeah. And unless we fix that, we're going to keep stuffing PowerPoints at people and having people consume content in a different way. It's not going to be fast enough. The gap is going to keep growing and growing and growing and growing. We have to fix the size of the pipes, if that makes any sense. We have to be able to flow more information through. We have to be able to digest more information as human beings, which means we have to be able to receive it differently. We have to become more closely connected to technology so it can handle the high volume, velocity, administrative work that nobody likes to do. Most HR people I talk to, Tim, they didn't start in this profession to spend days behind spreadsheets, but most of them are doing that right now because that's the job. So if we can get that work off our plates, we can dedicate our time to more human efforts, which actually drive real change and actually help each other. And for me, that's where I get really excited is you're giving tools to people so they can affect change. And whether it's Bento HR, the Global HR Summit, or any of the other efforts we're doing, that's a common theme is give people tools so they can use them to empower themselves and then make better decisions around how they're going to spend that time. So let's say you save an hour a day. Great. Spend it with your family. Call your friends. Go for a walk. Like You don't have to work more. You don't have to consume more content. You don't have to worry about your falling behind if mm. you're thoughtful and intentional about what you spend your time doing. I'm as guilty as the next person. I was busy, busy, busy spending four hours a day on YouTube. <laughs> Haven't we right? all? <laughs> We've all done it, right? But I'm just overwhelmed and I, I I can't even. So I pop on YouTube and I'm in a four hour rabbit hole and all of a sudden I know like, oh, that's where Michael Jordan grew up. That's interesting. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. But, like, but doesn't help me solve the problems that are driving the issue that took me to YouTube in the first place. I'm just pushing off my problems and I'm just trying to keep them away. So I think for me, the immersive technology piece, whether it's education, whether it's mental health, whether it's work, there's so many opportunities because you can use it to actually address systemic problems. I know people who are actually prescribing psilocybin and doing mushroom journeys through VR to treat people who've come back from combat zones who have PTSD. Science behind this, man, like real science to help people get over their mental illness, not patching them full of medication and saying, you're broken, you're never gonna be fixed ever again. Your brain has the wrong chemical imbalance. That's not real. You can do the work and you can get better, but it does take work and it does take tools. And there are some people that they're so deep in a hole, they can't take time off of work. They can't skip a, a paycheck. They can't go to a retreat or come to, you know, go do yoga two hours a day. They got to work. They got two, three jobs. They got two, three kids. Like they're stuck. I get it. So unless we make a dramatic change in how we help those people, 
they're going to fall further and further and further behind. And like I said before, we got big problems. We need everybody to be pulling on this rope. That's why I don't play politics. That's why I don't play the finger pointing game. Like you want to blame me for stuff, blame me for everything. Let's, you know what world blame me for everything and let's get on with solving it. Mm -hmm. No, and that's a powerful cry to action, man. Shout out to Neha who's saying, thank you, Matt, for your perspective. This perspective is amazing. This is a, this has an emotional resonance for her. Uh, she lives it and has had someone say, have you not had your meds today? Mm -hmm. I missed reading something. I think people have to start with empathy, man. What do you think about that? I totally agree, right? Like, I got no idea what everyone's going through. Like, when I tell people my experience and I tell them that I suffer with anxiety and have panic attacks more days than not, nobody believes it. Like, they're like, really? You? Like, you're on the camera all the time. I see your face everywhere on LinkedIn. I'm like, yeah, I work hard to be good for calls like this, for chats like this, and for appearances like this. So I can contribute because I know that when I talk, I have the ability to influence and have a powerful voice. Yeah, I didn't ask for it, I was blessed with it. So I'm gonna use that tool to try and affect change. And that means I have to take care of myself and look after myself. It also means I have to deploy empathy to people around me. And I'll be honest, Tim, like even in this conference, this conference is exciting. Like, I don't know how you don't get excited about a virtual reality conference talking about culture. <laughs> and yet I've talked to a few people that aren't excited about it. And mm -hmm. they think that it's kind of like a frivolous pursuit or that we should be spending our time doing other things and solving real problems. And that's cool. I, I don't attach judgment to those comments. I don't know where they're coming from. I don't know their story. I don't know what kind of day they had. So I think, you, you know, Nia's right. Like you got to start with empathy and my, the words I use, I always assume innocence. I assume innocence first, and then I clarify. If that person is unfortunately not what they need them to be, then I make a decision. Do I want to have this person in my life or not? But yeah. I don't make that decision before I give them the opportunity to say, hey, what's going on? So I start with empathy, then I hit them with a direct question. And if after that, there's no there's no alignment, we move on. And that's okay. The world needs different peoples to have success. My way is my way. I'm hoping people see through my way and see the good that's in it and that it's not so about mad at all it's not about what i can accomplish it's about what we can do for other people and there'll be some people that want to forge their own path and i totally respect that and that's why for me tim I, we've had this chat offline i believe in principles of abundance there's so much out there like, there's so, so much good absolutely. so much good out there so absolutely. much good absolutely and i think that's one that's why it's one of our virtues within guide and more importantly you know what you said is that you know a lot of people don't come at things from a place of compassion I really love that you're sharing this, man, because, you know, I've seen it so much in work cultures where the reason why the culture is so bad is that no one has an attitude of gratitude or mm -hmm. compassion. And that is so crucial when you think about the working world that we're living in, when, like you said, there's issues such as mental health that are that people are facing in the workplace and even outside of the workplace because of so much toxic information. Let me give you a story. They'll kind of maybe crystallize some of these points, put them together. So in my previous organization, I ran the analytics function for the company. So I would get access to millions of data points in the course of a, of a calendar year. Wow. Turn, turnover wages, you know, time loss injuries, you know, salaries, performance, every possible human resources metric you could possibly imagine, I had access to it. And I had a team that was responsible for analyzing it, preparing reports, and educating the executives so they could take action against those reports. We didn't do any of that. What we did was we produced reports that became political fodder. So because we, our model in that organization was data was a compliance tool. Wow. We used it as a stoplight scoring. You hit your number, yay. You don't hit your number, there's trouble. 
And if you don't hit your number enough times, Matt, you're muted again, brother. <laughs> in the organization's defense, what it does is it creates a, um, a system where they believe that by introducing accountability, you're doing right by the employees. Like, wow. They want to hold people accountable, right? In their mind, it's like, hey, if it's worth measuring, it's worth holding people accountable. So if we don't hold people accountable, they won't do it. And I don't start from that perspective. I believe that people want to do a good job regardless of whether you hold them accountable or not. That's my belief, not theirs. So they had this model whereby accountability was one of the premises behind their data strategy. So what did that do psychologically speaking? It meant that every time I produced a monthly report, I would spend two weeks of the month playing political hot potato and a finger pointing exercise. Mm. This isn't my number, Matt. This number isn't accurate. You didn't reflect the latest changes. This is somebody else's fault. So it became adversarial overnight, even though I'm approaching this with innocence, but they're getting the report. And because the, the program is in the context of accountability, they're defensive, they're adversarial, they're combative. They don't want to figure out what the problem is on the spreadsheet because if they accept there's a problem, then there's accountability for this, there's a problem. Mm. I moved to another organization, I made a small tweak. Same report, same intent, but I said to the organization, there will be never any disciplinary action against the human resources metric, ever. Mm. So if you have a result that's below our standard, okay, we're gonna sit down, we're gonna have a conversation, and we're gonna say, hey, you're the leader of this business unit, you're the leader of this department, you're the leader of this region, what's going on? Yeah. Like, what do you think, what do you think's happening here? Why do you think you're having a challenge? Why do you think your team's having a challenge and having success? And we start a collaborative conversation around what tools can I help you with? What support do you need? What kind of resources can we help you with? And then the person, the leader's then saying, okay, yeah, like, I think this is the problem. This is where I'm seeing the patterns. If we get this and this and this and this, I'm confident I can change the number. When did having reports, when did holding people accountable become more important than actually realizing an improvement? Yeah. I don't know. But when we took away the disciplinary implication, I had partners now to solve problems. I didn't have people fighting. I spent no time managing politics and spent time solving root cause issues. And those numbers crept up and up and up and up and up because we didn't make it about performance. We made it about learning and about experiences. And we taught and we educated people. That's what people, that's what leaders want to be doing. I don't want to be chasing people around saying your number is a six. It should be a seven. That's not fun. <laughs> just a subtle change by putting a little bit of intentionality, a little bit of human psychology and just saying, you get more by treating people with respect and, and assuming innocence mm -hmm. and trying to help them with empathy than by chiding them and treating them like children. You'll get so much further with it. And if, at the end of the day, if the imp most important thing is an improved result, then who like that should be the way that you get there. But I still mm -hmm. talk to leaders who are like, Matt, like I get it, but like then we're not holding them accountable. Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah, I think often people think kind of holding people accountable is stressing them out, which is not. And, you know, the best way to, I think, nurture accountability and I think success, you know, as you said, Matt, is positive reinforcement and, and creating a, a healthy psychology around your workplace culture. And you know, so I, you, I'm actually I'm actually a, a former psychology major myself. And, you know, everything you say is literally by the book, you know, um, in terms of the more you positively reinforce people to do the good and to help them and to nurture them and understanding and coming from a place of compassion, you know, yeah, that, you know, we're off here, but here's where we're looking to go. That's actually much better than, you know, um, um, kind of, kind of creating this, this workplace culture or environment where people feel penalized for making a mistake and they can't. Yeah. And it's, it's a holdover from the old way of doing things. So in the old way of doing things in this paternalistic, um, this 
um, this maternalistic culture where like knowledge, but when I started in business, like information was currency. So CEOs didn't tell people stuff unless they wanted to. And that was okay back in the day. Yes. Now you can't get away with that. So it's different. <laughs> and it, as a consequence, what, what, what was happening was we were talking to people around um, important issues and we were trying to inspire them to look at things differently by approaching with a degree of empathy and honesty. And I think, um, you know, when you look at business, again, I'm interested in solving problems. I'm interested in helping people, period. Accountability for me is only necessary if somebody is doing something that's unethical or yeah. maliciously against your values. Then in that case, it's a tough conversation. And maybe they do need to go in that situation. But if somebody's trying their best and they want to do a really good job, why wouldn't we try and support them? Like I have a hard time with that because again, it's this idea of I will give you the work and then I will evaluate your work. What? Like it doesn't work anymore. It doesn't make any sense anymore. So it's more about collaboration. It's about being side by side with your team. It's about being in, it's being with them. It's, it's, it's horizontal. It's not vertical. And whether it's education or whether it's work or whether it's a number of other industries, we have to look more at the people around us because not for a number of reasons, Tim, not the least of which is better for, we talked about psychology and mental health and engagement. It's also really good business. It's good, right? Business. Like it's good business. Like I'm, I'm a businessman. I'm a, I'm a capitalist. I'm a social capitalist, but I don't have a problem making money. Mm. I'm not saying anyone can't make money. I'm not. I'm not espousing communism here. Like if you want to compete in the market, I love to compete. One of the hardest things for me to figure out as a social entrepreneur was how can I compete and satisfy that urge to kind of compete in the market, mm. but then give the money away because it's not about the money. It's about the competition. It's about the game. Like I like that, um, and. We want to tap into people's innovation. We want to tap into their creativity. We want to tap into things that make them uniquely human. And you can't do that if you're walking around the office chasing them with a stick all the time saying, why aren't you at your desk? Why aren't you working harder? Why aren't you answering the email at 8 o'clock on a Friday night? Like, it doesn't make any sense. And you know, it has – too, right? In, in what yeah. It just I, – I have a hard time with – the old way of doing things because it doesn't work. It doesn't make business sense. It's not anchored in science. And yet some people still, still insist on doing it because they're not prepared to change. They don't know anything different. They haven't seen different examples. So what I've been trying to do with my platform, if you will, on social media is just to tell people like choosing between humanity and profitability, you don't have to, you can have both. It requires a bit more thought, but you can really have both if you are thoughtful about building a plan that takes care of your people and delivers profitability, you will ultimately have more success over the long run if you do that. But what we've done is we've put systems in place that disincent that thinking. When you have a system whereby we're measuring publicly traded companies quarter by quarter, you can't measure people quarter by quarter. You can't make investments in the long term in three-month increments. So we've built a game where we forced short-term thinking to benefit mm. people who want to speculate on stocks. What does that do for people in the organizations? Yeah. I can't tell you the number of activities that I led Tim where we restructured, which means people had job loss because we were trying to hit a quarterly earnings statement. And the moment the statement dropped, we hired them all back again. That's what? Horrible. Yeah, yeah, that's horrible. You're putting people through it through hell because you're trying to hit an arbitrary number so that the stock market buys into what you're doing. I don't like that. Like, there's a way to do it both ways. There's a way to make money, have success, be entrepreneurial, work in a corporate environment, and look after your people. And I don't think that should be so like so transformative. I don't think that should be a movement. I think that should be an expectation. But we are where we are right now. So people like you and I are going to keep pushing this rock because 
we know it's the right thing to do. And there's no basis either in science or in finances that justify the way we're doing a lot of things right now. It's just simply inertia. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so powerful, man. And, you know, I, I do think times have changed and more importantly, you're changing it, you know, with, with your movement and the global HR summit, man. But I would love for you to share with our amazing guy community and people who are listening to me right now. Where can the people follow you and your work, man? Because you're everywhere, bro. I, I, I follow you on IG, Twitter. <laughs> um, where can they follow you and your movement, man? Yeah, I live on LinkedIn. So that's a good place to start. <laughs> Like I, I, I gotta call, I gotta call my friends at LinkedIn and be like, I need to get us like a, a bedroom there, maybe a cot. I'm on that platform. I love it because for me, it's my space. Like I love um, talking to other business leaders about the challenges they're facing. I think it can be helpful. So for me, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. You can find me at Matt Burns HR on LinkedIn. Um, check out the Global HR Summit too. GlobalHRSummit.com, July 28th and 29th. It's the first conference for HR professionals, the first culture conference, the first business conference in virtual reality like we're doing things different because different things need to be done and i would encourage you to check it out it's a great conference we got great speakers tim's on there and i think tim even tell right like and tim like you're not even like the 10th coolest person on that pot on that (laughs) there are some cool people on there man like i'm joking of course but like there's some awesome people that just they believe this they want this they want to see change they want to be part of something different they want to be part of something special the conference We've kept the cost low. It's 49 bucks for a two day live stream, 99 bucks for a two day virtual reality experience. I'm covering about $20,000 in overheads, getting my speakers, you know, VR headsets. Everything else is going to charity. Everything. It's not about making a buck. It's about starting a conversation. It's about starting a movement. It's about starting something different. So for us, it's about get the conference, get the momentum and kick down the door because no one's inviting us in, Tim. Like no one's, no one's saying help fix the, help us fix this. It's time to kick down the door a little bit on employment culture. Man, shout out to you, Matt. You're you're creating a heck of a movement, man. And we really appreciate it. You know, with that said, y'all, thank y'all so much for tuning in. Matt, what's yeah. your powerful takeaway for our guy community, man? I love this question. And I love that it's last minute and everything. I would just say is be kind to yourself today. Mm. So I could give you a whole bunch of business jargon, but whoever needs to hear this, just be kind to yourself. What you're doing right now, it's okay. With the world it's a strange place. We got problems that predated COVID-19 and then the world threw a giant curveball. Maybe you had some job loss. Maybe your family had some job loss. Maybe there's some health issues. There's family issues, school issues. You're on top of each other in your houses. It's tough right now. I would say if you can do anything, take some time today and just be kind to yourself because the world's hard enough. You don't have to add your own stuff to it as well. Love it, man. Dude, we love your movement, man. Appreciate you so much, brother. We got to have you on for a future episode, man. What do you think? I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. You and I got to do this in VR. Oh, yeah, we do. Definitely. Man, it's going to be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) All right, brother. Talk to you soon, man. Take care. (laughs) You too, man. And that was Matt Burns. And earlier, we had the phenomenal, phenomenal Dot Long. Megan, I hope you connected with Dot earlier. Thanks so much for Matt for coming in. Definitely make sure that you're following him and his movement with Global HR Summit and Mento HR. And then more importantly, guideapp.co. We still have beta access, early access open. If you want to be a part of our beta, definitely sign up. We are gradually expanding it. And we already have 20 customers onboarded to our beta and they are loving guys so far. So if you are interested in being a part of our early access beta, and more importantly, our movement, please definitely sign up. We truly appreciate you. With that said, shout out to Elwin, shout out to Megan, shout out to 
Jonathan, Jonathan, I want to go ahead and show love to this comment. At first glance, I thought you were speaking with Mark Cuban. You know what? Matt does look that good. <laughs> Matt does look that good. So shout out to that. That is a, actually a great comment. Matt would probably be like, oh, thanks. <laughs> I look like a millionaire. <laughs> shout out to you, Jonathan, for that. And shout out to Neha for tuning in as well. We really, truly appreciate you all. Definitely sign up for godapp.co, early access. And with that said, y'all, I'm going to see you all tomorrow. I'm wishing you all peace, love, and most importantly, as always, abundance. Talk soon.